So this is Christmas, huh? What have you done? Another year over. New one just begun. So, really, no one? Not, not even nothing? Have you? I, I, I was hoping because, man. Are you all right this morning? You good? Huh? Please. Come on, you know the song. I'll, I'll get uh, Cookies finished being made? You gave cookies to my wife? Those are my cookies, just so you know. Raspberry Rugolo? Don Romansky, off the cookies. <laughs> Raspberry Rugolo? <laughs> so that's code for no, it's not raspberry rigola. That's, that's what I'm feeling here. So it is, it's Christmas. And you know, and, and I say this every once in a while, and I'm, I'm constantly reminded about it, that Christmas is the same every year. Like, the, like we, there's, no, there's no new characters introduced into the story it's the same story every year there's no twists there's no plot turns and it and it never changes the christmas story is always the christmas story since it happens thousands of years ago i feel the same way and in the tension for us as christians is when we read this story that we're so familiar with we read it through we read it through tired eyes. Like we don't expect to get anything new, to see anything new, to hear anything new from God because it's the same story over and over again. I mean it's it's amazing. It, it it's God becoming one of us, showing us the way to live, going to the cross, forgiving our sins, reconciling us back. I mean it's an amazing story. But it doesn't change year in and year out. And, 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 I, and I believe that, I believe the reason for many that it's just same old, same old. Because we have lost the expectation that God wants to speak to us something new in the Christmas story. And so we just read it, you know, we read the first couple chapters of Matthew. We read the first couple chapters of Luke. And it's like, well, well it's the Christmas story. Now, let's get on to the, to the good stuff. And we just kind of gloss right over it. Because we've lost the expectancy that God wants to continue speaking into our lives from the Christmas story. Remember when you were a little kid? I remember. And it was Christmas Eve and you just couldn't fall asleep. And you're just, you're just up. And, and you, you just, you're tossing and you're turning and finally you fell asleep for like three minutes. But that was just enough to get you to the morning. And bing, you, you wake up and you have this expectation of toys. What if we approached, as Jesus followers, the Christmas story that way? With an exciting expectation that God wants to unpack something new for us. That he wants to gift us with something new. And we come to the story excited. And we expect that, that he has a message. Even in the same old, same old of the story. That there is something new for us to glean. Because scripture is living. And it's always revealing new, deeper more intimacy. 
So I want you to, as we continue through the Christmas Eve, and have some expectation of God that he wants to speak. Press in a little bit more. Press in a little bit differently. Don't get all caught up with the, with the, the hubbub of the, um, the world's view at Christmas. Expect God to speak to you. Expect the story to reveal something new to you. And it will change your perspective about Christmas. And so this morning, I, I want to take a look at the, the, the story of, the, I guess they call it in your Bibles, the Annunciation. And it's kind of when Jesus, uh, when the angel comes to Mary and lets her know, hey, things are going to get radically different for you, girl. And, and this is uh, Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. So if you've been around church for a while, if you've read the Bible for a few years or a few months or even a couple days, you've probably come across this story. It's a very familiar story. We flannel graph the death out of this story. And so there's this familiarity to it. But those who are reading it for the first time, Luke's audience that he's writing to, things would start to be clicking for them. And there's things that just don't make sense to them, especially in the the Jewishness of the time. See, the angel Gabriel, he bypasses all of the places where God probably should show up, the places where you would think God would show up. And he goes beyond all those. He bypasses Judea, which is really... It's, it's the heartland of the work of God throughout the centuries. And he goes to a place, an area called Galilee, which was really a place of contempt for, for a good Jew because the people there were kind of a, a mixed breed. There wasn't the, the purity of the Jewish faith there. Gabriel bypassed Jerusalem to end up in a town called Nazareth. It wasn't even really considered a town. It was more village-esque. The town was. It was a, it was a non-place instead of a place. It was shoddy. It was corrupt. It was kind of backwoods. Think of old wests. Um, just things not on the up and up. There was a, a a large Roman soldier population. The Gentiles lived there, and so it was just a place where a good Jew and God probably shouldn't show up. But this is where. Gabriel ends up. 
fact, in John's gospel, John would write this guy, Nathaniel. He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And the answer during those days was no. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. It was a place that God should not have sent an angel, especially head honcho angel like Gabe. He ignored the temple. Why would you ignore the temple, the most holy place there is, where God lives? And he heads to this home of a little girl named Mary. Now, scholarship is kind of out really how old she was, but we can probably say that she's between 12 and 14 years old. She's a kid. She has no life experience. She lives in this little backwoods country village. She's a girl, so she probably is illiterate. She doesn't read. She doesn't write. The only theological training that she's had is probably listening to the the Bible stories in the synagogue. That's her religious education. Her lot in life, Mary, was she was born into poverty. She would live in poverty. She would marry into poverty. She, she would have children that would be impoverished. She would live a hard life and die in obscurity. Just like so many before her and so many after her went. And one of the single greatest events in all of history, all of human history, the birth of the Savior of the world was announced there in obscurity, even in scandal. She was a virgin, betrothed to be married. She gets pregnant. Uh Uh-oh. God's not playing by the rules. Mary was, for all intensive purposes, a, a nobody. She had no lineage. She had no royalty. She wasn't any societal. Uh, she didn't hold the place of, of a high society. It reminds me what Paul would write in 1 Corinthians when he wrote this. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. The angel Gabriel bypassed all of the hot spots where you would think God would show up, where you would think you would send an angel. And he goes to Nazareth to a 13-year-old little girl. The despised things of this world. Not many of noble birth, foolish things. On the morning that Jesus was born, the birth announcement didn't go out to the rulers and the kings and those in society who held a place of prominence. Heavenly host, which means a chorus of angels showed up to to shepherds, poor shepherds watching sheep in the fields. They were the dregs of society. They were the outcasts. The only people that hung around with shepherds were other shepherds. And they tell these shepherds, the Savior has been born. Think about 
how God is messing up his story against what the world thinks is important. There's a certain humility that one has in their heart and in their soul when they realize that from a world's perspective, they are really not much to look at. Have you ever wondered if Jesus, let's just say we didn't have the Bible. And say it's 2017 and Jesus was going to be born this year, like the Messiah was coming. Do you ever think about where he would be born? I mean, we all can say, no, he's probably not going to be born in like Rome. I guess the Vatican wouldn't be around if we didn't have Jesus. Probably not on a nice tropical island in the beach of Jamaica somewhere or Maybe in some European castle. See, I was thinking through that this week, and, and I don't even think Jesus would be born like an inner city Waterbury or Hartford. I believe that God would have sent him to some slum in Africa or Haiti, in complete obscurity with not a single bell or whistle to usher in the Savior. But see, that's the good news of the gospel, isn't it? God doesn't look at our social standing. God doesn't look at our economic standing. He's not interested in your intelligence. He's not interested in your physical prowess. See, God wants to get to, God wants to, get to you, like the real you, the, the inside you, that you that you keep hidden from everyone else because you're fearful of, of being found out. That you that you're, you're ashamed of at times. And, and, and you, just, you just can't believe that, that you've behaved that way, you've thought that way, you've done that again. That, that you that you hide from the public and you put on your, your plastic Christian face for Sunday morning and you pop in the church and everything is great. See, God's not interested in that you. He wants the real you, the inner you. He wants to get to those things, those darknesses within us and bring light to it. God is not impressed with any of this outside stuff because he wants to get to the inside. He doesn't care how much money you make or don't make. He doesn't care your social standing. He doesn't care your political affiliation. He doesn't care of any of that. He's looking at what's in your heart. The Lord comes to needy people. The Lord comes to needy people. He comes to those who know they're in need. He comes to those who know that, that, that from the world's perspective, they got nothing. He comes to people who are at the end of themselves. He comes to people who are ready to give up because they, don't see of any, they can't see any other way out. The Lord comes to those people. Because there's a humility in those hearts. Arrogance doesn't live in a place where you know you're in need. The Lord comes to people who are just trying to get by and survive. See, it's those hearts that the Savior is birthed in. Like, like Jesus wasn't born into the Huxtable family. You remember the Huxtables? What was the name of that show? What was it? The Cosby Show, right, right. I always, I always was intrigued by the Huxtables. They were the perfect family. In 30 minutes, you have the opening, you have conflict or a problem. The problem gets solved 
the lesson is learned, and then everybody loves each other then at the end, unless it went to be continued for the next week. But, but usually within a half hour, it was the perfect family. Even when they really were upset with each other, they would, you know, dag nabbit and, and things like that, which... Mm. Jesus wasn't born into that family. And see, we all live in a certain level of dysfunction, every single one of us. Life is not all mountaintops and rainbows. We struggle in areas. Our upbringing might not have been great. Our present way of living might not be that great. Jesus was, Jesus, his family came from a rough side of town to a teenage mother and a lower class father. We all have our weakness. None of us have perfected this thing called life. I would probably venture to say that all of us feel inadequate somewhere in something. There's things in us that we wish weren't part of us. There, there are habits that we can't break. There's thoughts that keep us down. There's characteristics of darkness within us that we just pray to God that one day we would be free from. This, this is all of us, man. If you feel you're messed up, you're in very good company. Look around. And look. I, I can imagine that Mary is living in that realization. I don't, we don't know about her life before, her, her mom, her dad, her brothers. But look what the angel says to her. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. God comes to those who are broken and know it. Their humility is the fact that they know they're broken. Their humility is the fact that, that they, they look around and, and they just understand that they're not all that. No matter what their, their social status or economic status. There's something in them that they realize that needs help. See, that's the humility that God looks for. And so if you fit that broken motif... If you think of yourself as in need, if you look at yourself as, as um, if there's part of your life that, that, that you're ashamed of, if there's darkness still within you, if there's habits that you still can't break, then look at those words. You are highly favored. The Lord is with you. God doesn't come to those who think they've polished themselves up and cleaned themselves up. Because of Jesus, because of Jesus, this message is for each and every follower of Christ. You are favored. And the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. When the storms are hitting the Lord is with you. When tragedy strikes, the Lord is with you. When uncertainty follows you around like a lost puppy, the Lord is with you. And you are favored. 
Because of your faith in Jesus Christ, in the no matter what of life, the Lord is with you. We are celebrating God coming to earth. It's, it's Christmas. It's what the birthday is. It's, it's, what a birth, it's what the Christmas birthday is. Jesus, God's son, God in the flesh coming to earth. God with us, Emmanuel. And to each one of you, I want to declare this over you. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. You are favored. The Lord is with you. Susan, the Lord is with you. No matter what people have said, the feelings that you've had, you are favored. The Lord is with you. No matter what brokenness you've experienced in the past, the Lord is with you. Taryn, the Lord is with you. In your nervousness about the future, the Lord is with you. You are favored. Because of your faith in Jesus, the Lord is with you. In the no matter what of life, the Lord is with you. Michelle, the Lord is calling you. He's in hot pursuit. He's not going to let you go. You are safe with him. No matter what this world throws at you, you are safe with him. The Lord is with you. This is the good news of the gospel, isn't it? That we are favored the Christmas story for each and every one of us. I'm favored. The Lord is with me. And so are you. And so the story goes on. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. I'm thinking when an angel appears to you and says... Now, now, I wouldn't know this because if an angel appeared to me and said, I'm going to get pregnant, that would just be weird. But I, w- I would think for a woman that's 12, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You will call him Jesus. He will be great and you will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And she says, well, how will this be? Since I'm a virgin. So this is kind of the the nuts and bolts of what the angel's message is to Mary. This is what's going to take place. Mary is going to, she's going to play a huge part in God's plan of salvation. Like the big part. She is the mother of of God, of Jesus, and, and yet, but she's giving birth to God. Now, I'm sure she would have heard, um, this is not like nothing new to her. She would understand the Messiah because she's probably grown up in the, in the home, you know, in, in her Jewishness. She would understand the lineage of David. 
though she's not educated theologically, she would have heard the stories, understand Messiah, understand the restoration of Israel, understand Savior. And this is a pretty big deal for her. I mean, this is a huge deal. And she, and she asks a very simple, heartfelt question. Remember, she's a kid. So let's, 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 let's meet halfway if she's not 12 and she's not 14. Let's put her at 13. She's a kid. And she asks a question from the kid's heart. Um, Mr. Gabriel, I'm a virgin. Not quite sure how this is going to happen. And this is what the angel says. The Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Boom! There it is. The Holy Spirit is getting involved in Mary's business. About to shake it all up. Things are about to get off the hook for Mary. The Holy Spirit is not just some spiritual thing that we just kind of, you know, it's for the really, it's, it's just for the really Christian people or the, the real spiritual people. Then, the, you know, then you get some Holy Spirit stuff. The Holy Spirit, the power of God is going to come upon her, is going to overshadow her. The Holy Spirit is going to manifest himself into the physical reality of Mary's life. There is something physical that's going to take place. And not just a little something physical, a big something physical. She is going to be with child. And the Spirit of God operates in the same way today. The Spirit of God wants to manifest itself, himself, in our physical reality. He wants us as Christians to live into the manifestation of the power of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. Mary's posture of her heart allowed the spirit to move upon her, to overshadow her. Imagine that being overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, church, the spirit of God today desires to manifest himself in the physical lives of Christians. The spirit desires to give the gifts of power to his church, that we would walk in that power. The gifts of Jesus, the gift of Jesus manifesting itself, himself in Mary's womb. The power of the Holy Spirit, the grace of God being poured out to the world. The Spirit longs for each and every one of us to live into that manifestation of his power. That we would not just be weak, cowering, uh, anemic Christians, but that we would be powerful because we have a powerful God. And his spirit desires to pour out upon us. You can read about the gifts of the spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The manifestations of the way God wants to operate in all of us. Not just the really cool, um, uber spiritual people. Not just those people who can quote chapter and verse. Each and every Christian To move in the power of the spirit. These are the gifts that are given to us. Gifts given to us. But we have a problem with gifts. Even though we understand that we get gifts. Like it's given to us. 
But we have a hard time understanding the freeness of what a gift really should be, which means that we have a hard time understanding the freeness of God giving us the gifts of the Spirit. Gifts, free. Because our idea of a gift, it's, it's, a, it's a marker of achievement. That's when we get and give gifts. It's our mindset. So we're going to give gifts and we're going to receive gifts at Christmas. Now, if you believe in the song, somebody's checking their list, making, seeing if you're naughty or nice. And depending upon your naughty or nice status will depend upon the said gifts that you will receive. Now, I'm sure that some of you are holding your children hostage with that, but that's okay. It's the American way. But we get we get or give gifts on our birthday because we have marked an achievement. Whew, I made another year. And you get a gift or you give a gift. We give or get gifts at weddings. When you get promoted in your job, when you retire from your job, when you celebrate your anniversary, when you graduate from high school or middle school or college, we give gifts because we have or someone has achieved something. The act of kindness and gift giving not being attached to something is very rare because we give in response to something. And so in this achievement mindset, we have a performance mindset. And so let's just say I'm getting married or uh, I'm having, we're having a, a baby and we're going to have a baby shower. Because that I have, that we are achieving something or performing our way into something, not only do we expect to give gifts, but we create a gift registry just to make sure that you give me the right gifts that I really want. And if I get a gift that I don't really want, make sure I get the gift receipt so I can return said gift. Or if I don't have a gift receipt, I'll re-gift the gifts. Gifts are tied to something, to our achievement, to mark something, to our, our performance. And we have this unspoken expectation that the act of me giving a gift should ensure that I get an equal gift back, in, at least in value or desirability. How many times have you been disappointed with your spouse's gifts? Right, let me ask it in a different way. How many times you wives have been disappointed by your husband's gift? <laughs> Go easy on him. But you see, our mindset in gifts is very different from the Lord and the gifts of the Spirit. All of our life, every moment of our life is, is a gift. We haven't earned it. We really don't deserve it. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit are the same thing. We don't earn them. We surely don't deserve them. We have not achieved our way into deserving for God so loved the world that he gave us Jesus. We don't, we don't achieve our way or perform our way into our salvation. And we do not perform or achieve our way into the gifts of the Spirit. He gives as he wishes to give. And it's our responsibility as Christians to walk in those gifts. 
whatever they may be, to walk in them, to utilize them, to to be bold in them, not to worry about what other people are going to think about them. The power of God manifests itself in each and every believer. And it says this in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, for the common good of the people. Your gift has been given for the good of this community, for the good of the world, for the good of all other communities. My gifts have been given for the good of others. We don't deserve them. We don't earn them. We walk in them. The spirit that came upon Mary and manifested his power in the physical manifested, it overshadowed her. The power of God came upon her and she became pregnant. Miraculous. The same spirit that came upon Mary is the same spirit that desires to manifest himself in the lives of each and every one of us in this church. I want to show you a little 1 Corinthians 12. Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. Hey, I just said that. To one, there is given through the spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he distributes them to each one as he determines He distributes them to each one. These are God's gifts of power manifesting themselves in the life of the church. They are gifts of grace. His grace to us. The empowerment of us. They're prophetic gifts. They're priestly gifts. They're kingly gifts. They're not deserved. You cannot earn them. In fact, in the scripture, this uh, saucer named Simon, he tried to buy it. and, And the apostle's like, oh, dude, you blew it. Oh, nay, nay. You can't buy these things. You don't earn them. But the humility of your heart and desiring and needing, the Lord will pour them out as he sees fit. Are you willing to walk in them? Are you willing to move in them? Are you willing to grab that bull by the horns and and take the ride of your life in the power of the spirit? The same power that formed Jesus in the virgin's womb. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that's been given to each one of you for the common good of the people. Will you walk in it? Will you embrace it? Will you say, okay, God, show me Show me and I will move in your physical manifestation of your power. You are favored. The Lord is with you. The Lord is on you. You are favored. I pray that you would walk in that favor. I pray that you would, you would understand uh, the power that's upon you. I pray that you pray that you would be overshadowed. And that life changes dramatically. Dramatic. (laughs) That's dramatically and drastically in one word. What? That's right. 
Holy Spirit word right there. Other tongues, and I interpreted it. What? You know what I mean. That's my prayer for you. Father, we thank you that the same spirit that you poured out upon Mary is with us alive and well today. And now I pray that you would reveal the power that you've given to each and every one of us. I pray that those words would echo in each person's mind and heart this morning. You are favored and the Lord is with you. You are favored and the Lord is with you. Thank you for that promise. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for our community. Thank you for the, the, the church across the world. We love you. We stand before you in awe. We stand before you forgiven in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. We'll see you next week. Remember, two services next week. Uh, Sunday morning is Christmas Eve, regular service. Sunday evening is Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve service with candles and darkness. <laughs>